Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I am your host, Bryant Ott. Otter, Creighton Otter on WBR, whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight in a special guest episode, guest starring edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast, I have not one but two fellow members of whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me as always is Matt DeMoranis. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. And then also joining us tonight is Creighton recruiting guru and soccer buff and just big old Blue Jays fan all the way around, Joey Tempo. Joey, say hi to everybody. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. I really enjoy the pod, so I'm, I'm honored to be uh, invited and talk with you guys tonight. Let's just, let's just stop. Dude, we need to have like three guys all the time. Well, let's just stop before we get ahead of ourselves and just pat ourselves on the back for the fact that we were able to get all three guys on at once with minimal technical issues here. Like, I feel like the way yep. that our podcast started in the fall, Matt, like this would not have happened. So, you know, big props to us for getting this thing, you know, going in the right direction. And now we're just going to – and now the, now the sky's the limit on this thing. I mean, we're talking multiple guests. We got Google Hangouts going. We got all sorts of technical um, – uh, debauchery going on right now it's just wonderful things so thanks for being patient guys we really appreciate it yeah we had definitely had humble beginnings in this thing um <laughs> i think we had a few i think we had one podcast where our off the record conversation got recorded yeah right right so but because it ended up, ended up being part of the episodes like i remember rob anderson like texting me the next day he goes hey uh I think the last 20 minutes of your podcast was yeah. unintentionally recorded. And yeah, I was like, I, I didn't bother going back to check. I was like, no, Bryant and I just ramble a lot. And he's like, no, I'm just saying goodbye. And then yeah. continued talking and then recorded that part. And I was so, like, that's... so I went back and listened. I was like, oh, how about, how about that? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and give kudos to Matt and to me too. Like, I feel like we got a pretty good rapport on the, on, on the show, but what happens is we end up talking longer than we planned for and then the editing gets pushed further and further into the evening and i think i just you know i i I edited the first part didn't edit the second part but you know what wouldn't have surprised me though matt is if that was the more popular part of the episode you know what i mean i i I was listening to it and i felt (laughs) like that was like the money segment right it should have stayed totally hitting our stride (laughs) speaking of that let's just get right into this bad boy tonight because uh a lot of Jays fans always ask us, hey, when are you guys going to cover recruiting more? When are you guys going to cover recruiting more? When can we hear about the stuff that Bryant really has no idea about and that Matt D is on the record as saying he's not super interested in? So um, for that, we brought in Joey, who has been sharing his recruiting thoughts and wisdom and his uh, his bulldoggedness tracking down of nuggets of information about Creighton recruiting and just recruiting overall. Uh, here for a few years now. Um, most people probably know you uh, as Joey on the Blue Jay Underground message board um, where you'll break stuff for folks and keep tabs on everything on these threads. But um, you've also spent some time checking in with people on, on Radio Row as well. So I want to thank you, Joey, for, for jumping on tonight and really just wanted to open things up because I know you got a ton of questions via Twitter today. Uh, the Jays welcomed a new recruit into the fold today. Uh, there's just been a lot going on here uh, the last week or two, kind of punctuated today with the uh, verbal commitment from big Manny Suarez, who I, what, I thought that was like D. Wade's fake name that he checked into hotels with or something. 
but Manny Suarez <laughs> is now in the mix for the Blue Jays. Tell us a little bit about Big Manny. So actually, uh, you know, the, the staff, which I had a pretty good relationship with and still do, um, has been pretty secretive all, uh, all spring. Obviously losing Coach Lutz and bringing in Coach Huss, uh, they had to kind of uh, reconfigure what their, what their strategy was moving into the spring, especially with uh, some openings and some future openings that thought they thought might be open with Justin leaving. Uh, so they were definitely on the market for a, a big guy. But let's let's just kind of before we get into Manny, talk about, I mean, what what does Creighton look for, um, or from you guys, what does Creighton look for from a center or a five man? I mean, what what do they need from that position? They need facial hair. Like we think back to uh, Ethan Rocky. We think about Zach Hanson, the growing a little bit of scruff there toward the end. They needs to be able to throw some facial hair out there. Uh, maybe grab a couple rebounds every once in a while. Yeah, Manny's um, got that. Okay, does he have both? I, I... I, I would, I would, I would say, say a guy. I would say floor because I don't think, regardless of what they want to compete with on the glass, you know, from the rest of the conference is concerned, I don't think that they want to deviate from the pace that they play at, especially with uh, Mitch Ballack and Tyshawn Alexander coming into the fold and, you know, Caleb Joseph coming off a redshirt year. I still think there are a lot of pieces in this mix that can make this a pretty fun running gun team and i think that's what creating things is still their best chance to be a successful team and make a deep run in the NCAA tournament um and i and it, no matter who they sign at the five i still think toby hegner is a guy who is going to see some minutes there next year just because of the fact that he can stretch the floor um and the experience that he brings so i think a five man that can run the floor is a big part of their future plans I, I mean, I 100% agree with both of you guys. I mean, I think I think Toby actually starts at the five for Creighton next year, and I think so that Manny, I. I think Manny gets minutes for sure, and I think that he will be a huge contributor. I mean, at six eleven, two fifty, or whatever he is, weighs in at, I mean, he's gonna have a tough time getting up and down the floor that like Creighton wanted to, especially with Justin. But I, but I mean, he offers something a lot different than anything that's on the roster right now, and I think that in itself is almost more important for the roster makeup next year is they can bring in a guy like Toby who they think can give us a good chunk of the minutes at the five, stretch the floor, be exactly like what Ethan Rogge was doing back when Mac set up that team. And granted, Toby's not as good a shooter as Ethan, but he's not mm -hmm. a slouch. And if you, people, no. I think people forget that Toby was pretty injured toward the end of the year. And we might think of Toby as just that last couple month guy. And he, he played well and fought, but when Toby was healthy and playing well, he was, you know, he was playing better than I've ever seen him before. And I think that that's the Toby that I think the staff is hoping to get next year and bringing in a guy like Manny. It's just a one, two punch. Like they were hoping to have this year with Justin and Zach. And again, Zach was hurt. So he wasn't that bruising guy that could come in and bang with the Delgados or, or you know, or any other, the other big men in the uh, big East that Creighton had trouble with Manny gives you that the, the next year, you know, and, the nice luxury with a player like him is he's one and done. You know, you're not you're not having to sell out your roster for a player that can give you those kind of minutes. He's mature. He's a great free throw shooter. He's good with his hands. He can pass out of the post. And those are the things that's important to Creighton as they build this roster is you want a guy that if you feed it into him, he can either get foul, lay it up, or he can pass out really quick. And I think Manny has the kind of skills that can do that. And just to be clear on a point you just made about Toby, just to give – folks listening the timeline of what we're talking about with how injured he was uh, if people remember in that marquette game which was the first game that creighton played without maurice watson jr 
he uh thanks for bringing you know, he tweaked up, his he, he me- sorry <laughs> he messed up his ankle on a ball screen in the second half you know i don't know if you guys remember that i do but that was the injury he sustained and that's where all the damage was done so pretty much from that point on you didn't have an even close to 100 percent toby hegner so that's kind of what he played through that long stretch of time um it's it's actually considering what he said was done to his ankle in surgery it's actually pretty remarkable that he was able to get through the rest of the season i don't, I don't really know how he i don't want to yeah i mean i don't want to rehash last year and I, I don't i mean i'm not bringing up anything against you matt or anything but i mean like let's be honest the reason why creighton was so effective and i know maurice did a lot was bringing off a healthy isaiah a healthy zach and a healthy toby from that bench no team could compete with Creighton when they were bringing off those studs off the bench. I mean, they would be worn down and those, those other teams bench just could not keep up with the experience and just how smart those players were. And so losing Toby really hurt Creighton for a number of reasons because he just, what he didn't provide that punch off the bench and Isaiah's, you know, not being as healthy. And then Zach went down. So I think that hurt Creighton more than almost anything was that the fact that they didn't have that second group that could come in and just deliver that blow. And I think that Manny can, can be a guy that either starts off and allows Toby to maybe sit back a little bit or comes off the bench in his, in his, in his own right. And, you know, going from having a five that has to follow Toby around the arc to a guy that's huge and immovable in the post that, you know, that's tough for another team to game plan against. And, and I think he's got a lot of skills that can really frustrate other coaches in the Big East. And I think that's what he's brought in to do is to to really, you know, with the grind in January and February, to wear down some teams in the Big East. And he's going to have a couple good games, and you can't you can't foul him because he's that good of a shooter on the line. And, you know, I, I like the pickup. You know, there was bigger names out there for Creighton to go get. But Creighton thinks outside the box when it comes to these sort of things. And I think I think I think they're really going to like the minutes they get from him. Granted, nobody's seen this guy play. He plays at a Division two school, but I mean we've we've seen around college basketball that Division two players can come in and contribute in Division one if they're put in the right situation. That kid from Michigan, Duncan Robinson's a, a Division two or three player, and he's excellent. DePaul's bringing in a Division two player who's going to be good for them. So I don't think that we should get caught up in the team that he plays for or played for, or, or, you know, the fact that he got booted out of Fordham because he wasn't playing well as a freshman. I don't think we should get hung up on that. He's a good fit for what Creighton needs next year. The fact that they don't have to mortgage anything else after this year helps with recruiting, you know, and they don't, they don't have to, you know, go to 2018, 2019 recruits and say, Hey, we just recruited over you. We got to start all over again and and look at uh, that position. So I think they're in really good shape. And I, I really do. I like the fit. Well, yeah, I mean, regardless of how good he is, let's be honest, that's a big body, one one year worth of scholarship. Maybe Epperson can learn a little bit from whatever, you know, Suarez can bring on him and practice in addition to Toby or whatever, but you need bodies at this point in the post. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marcus is going to – Marcus Foster is going to take a ton of shots next year if he's healthy, and there will be other guys around him to, to, to lean on offensively as well. Um, Kyrie's coming into his own Kyrie Thomas um, even further developing the offense so it's not exactly like you need your post to be putting up 20 and 7 20 and 10 a night Um, would Justin may have been able to give you that had he come back maybe but it wasn't like he was putting up 20 and 10 every night anyway so the the way that the roster breaks down for the Jays and Matt the way you talked about it earlier with the way that coach Mack and his team wants to get up and down the floor and in the positions that they seem to hold uh, in higher regard in terms of what they want to do offensively. Um, yeah, this does seem to fit. I just, uh, you know, everything around this time of year when you start recruiting, whether it's 
the kids that are leaving as grad transfers and where they go or names that are popping up on random radars like this like it's just it's interesting to to surf the web and open your Twitter accounts and, and see all this stuff kind of flying back and forth. So I know, I mean, it's, it's scrambling. Well, well, the coaches are scrambling to fill the roster, right? I mean, nobody planned on, yeah. you know, we might've thought Justin might've been leaving, but then we planning on Manny Suarez coming in in May and filling that role, right they're, They have to scramble and they're doing the best that they can. And what fans sometimes get hung up on is right when Justin leaves, they're looking at whoever's around trying to panic buy is like, you know, people want just an, an, a body in there and you can't just go get a body. That's how you end up with players. And and I love Kobe Paras, but that's how you end up with players like Kobe is you're just looking for somebody to come in and take a scholarship for a year. And that's fine. But you have to have on, in, in your mind that when you recruit a guy late, like Kobe Paras, you're going to lose something for the next couple of years because the guys that you're recruiting for 2017 looked at, looked at your roster and just saw you sign a 2016 wing in June or whatever. And so they're going to be a little less, you know, they might not be listening like they were as attentively because they, they just got to recruit, you know, we just got to recruit that plays my position and he's here for four years or three years while I'm there. So you, you really have to think long-term when you bring in a player like this. And that's why these one and dones, these free agents are, are beneficial because you get them for one year. There's nobody on the market that Creighton was going to get right now that was going to come in and, participate at the five and give them four years worth of five. There's nobody around that Creighton could have got. So getting these one and done free agents is the best way to go. They got a guy that fits the skill set they want and who's, you know, he's a crafty player. So he'll pick up max offense and he's a body and he's big and he adds something different than what we have. So I, I like the pickup. One thing I'm curious about, and it doesn't really come off in his highlight films because it's not something that guys put in highlight reels a lot. <laughs> um, but I'm curious about his, you know, his footwork, especially in the pick and roll and the high pick and roll on the perimeter, because that's that's going to be kind of a big part of what Creighton does as well, because with Toby on the floor, it's going to be a pick and pop situation where you're not going to have Toby rolling to the rim. You're going to have him stepping out and extending the defense. But with a guy like Manny, I feel like he's more effective around the rim just based on what I've seen. It's very little, to be honest, so I could be wrong. But I feel like he's more effective around the rim offensively so he maybe fits that pick and roll mode type of guy, and I'm wondering how he does in, you know, ball screen situations and things like that. Especially, at, it's going to be interesting to watch in the fall how he gets accustomed to, you know, he'll screen one side, screen the other. Because Justin was just, I think that's one of the more underrated parts of Justin Patton's game is just how good he was on the perimeter, you know, in screening guys, reading screens, coming off of it, rolling right, you know, rim runs and all that sort of thing. Like that's what made him the dangerous player he was. And Manny's Manny's what? He's 22, 23 years old. You know, if I was yeah. bringing an 18, 19 year old, picking up all that stuff, being disciplined enough to figure out the offense because they have to participate next year, I'd be a little worried. But this guy knows he's got one shot at making a big impact in college basketball, getting some kind of contract, you know, in Europe or South America or wherever it would be. And so, you know, I think he's going to come in with, you know, attentive ears to what Mac has to, to say. I like that. Especially, so should we uh, talk? well, I was going to say, uh, attentive ears is a good segue into what do you want to talk about, Matt? You're going to, you're <laughs> now you're getting into this recruiting I, thing. I, you're like, I, I want to talk more I, about this. Let's well, do this. 
what? I know, I know more than I let on, but I just, it's just such a mess of a world to jump into that it feels like once you're in it, you have to devote your full attention to it, and it's really hard. That's so. why we have Joey. He devote, he devotes his full attention. I'm over this. Joey talks faster than I can. Joey talks faster than I can think. So I mean, he's got this down. Okay, but so I just want to bring like, up something as we go like further into recruiting. I mentioned it before. So Marcus Foster averaged 15 field goal attempts per game last season. Right. Over under 15 on average for Marcus in his senior campaign? I'm going to say under. You You're going to say under? Yeah. Okay. Joey, you got to guess? I, I think uh, over. Okay. Interesting. See, I think – and here the reason I think he's going to be under – Is Manny I don't think Suarez taking much, his think... shots. Manny Suarez is going to take Marcus' <laughs> shots. No. Okay. no, Manny Suarez isn't taking shots. All but right. – I do think Kyrie is taking some of his shots. I think Tyshawn Alexander is taking some of his shots. Okay. Um, uh, Caleb Joseph is a – he's a better scorer than people I think think he is. Like, okay. he got – I'm just – I'm curious to see what Caleb looks like when he's getting coached as a, as a PG1 type of player. Because obviously when you're on the scout team, you can kind of run amok and really get yours type of deal. Like, Maurice Watson looks like, you know, he was a baller on scout team. Um, he was a, he was baller, a baller off when he, the scout team, dude. And, and when he, he was a baller <laughs> off the scout team, but it doesn't always translate like that, you know right. what I mean? So, um, but I think Caleb had a really productive redshirt year, and he got a lot stronger. Noticeable. It was it's noticeable in the way that Cole Huff was noticeable. I don't know if you, I, maybe people didn't talk about it as much, but I felt like Cole put on a lot of muscle in the off season, especially since he couldn't really work on mobility with you know rehabbing the knee and all that. Right. Um, and Caleb Joseph has kind of made some strides in the weight room in similar fashion. And he's just a, I mean, he is like a psychotic competitor. I mean, he talks, he talks more trash than like Iverson out there. Good. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense watching him in a workout because he just brings this competitiveness that I, if he brings it next year, I think it's going to be a good thing, but we'll have to see. So I think he's going to take some shots, long story short. And I think Mitch Ballack is also going to get some playing time and take some shots. So I don't think it's going to be, okay. you know, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it'll be the Kyrie and Marcus show like it was at the end of the season. It definitely doesn't fit a billboard as, as well as the two boys from Omaha stuff. So that, they're going to have to make some adjustments. Uh, but Matt, you were going to bring up something, I think a question for Joey or something, um, you know, coming off of the Manny Suarez news, anything there for you? Yeah, so I'm having a little fun on Twitter with it. I'm calling it the domino effect right now. But uh, And Joey actually called this a couple, maybe a week ago even, as far as back as it goes, but at least a couple of days ago, that Tiger Campbell was going to probably visit and commit to DePaul and then reclassify and all that. And he, obviously he's the point guard teammate of Brian Bowen, who, you know, they played at La Lamere, and now their entire coaching staff is, uh, you know, on DePaul's payroll all of a sudden. Um <laughs> So how I feel about that stuff aside, I feel like that's the domino effect as far as it goes, you know, in terms of Brian Bowen potentially um, snubbing the Jays, if you will. And he's out in Oregon right now. Is that right, Joey? I think I saw that on, yeah, on the Twitters yeah. tonight. Yep. That that was something that I was alerted to this afternoon, and I didn't know if it was true, but it looks like it's true. Yeah, it's so, been confirmed. Well, let's let's talk about the dominoes of Brian Bowen. How about that? Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I had heard rumblings. I had made, I've gotten a lot of good connections in Chicago um, just by following recruiting for about, you know, eight, eight years now. And so I've been talking to some of the people there and there's lots of buzz with DePaul. Um, you know, they're opening up a new arena. 
they might they might be getting a new president. It sounds like, and maybe a new AD. So they, I think Dave Lato knew, knew he needed to make moves, uh, and really is, uh, is, make waves. Is there a new arena? Is there a new arena actually in Chicago, or are they going to do some weird ass thing like the Park, Horizons? Or I, I'm not even sure. No, it's yeah. down. It's uh, it's, it's down by, by the by the lake by the uh, McCormick oh. Convention Center. Yeah. Oh really? Nice. It'll be, it'll be really easy for Jays fans to get to. That'll be good. That's good. That's good. Better than Rosemont. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and, and and you know, another name that I'd heard Creighton was looking at was this Marine Marek. He was uh, or Marich. He's a from Northern Illinois. He's a six eleven mm-hmm. center, uh, grad transfer senior uh, from Northern Illinois. Average about sixteen and eight a game. Just big body, really good player, mobile. I had heard Creighton was looking at him pretty pretty thoroughly. And um, today he committed to DePaul, so he's doing his fifth year at DePaul. Um, you know, they got – they did. They just signed uh, Tiger Campbell or verbally committed Tiger Campbell uh, from La Lumiere, like you guys said. And that, that's a huge get. He's one of those players in the Midwest that everybody likes playing with. He's a very unselfish guard. And I know Creighton, uh, I mean, wanted him – you know, they, Creighton was all in on Tiger Campbell. They, they wanted him pretty bad. And they were uh, willing to hold off on some other targets – uh, to recruit Tiger Campbell, uh, he's uh, was a sophomore at La Lumiere that, this last year, but uh, he's going to reclassify and join the class of 2018. And so, kind of the rumblings I had been hearing for a while were that him and Brian Bowen were kind of, for better, you know, for better words, a package deal, and that uh, Brian really? was going to go to a school, and then Tiger was going to join up with him in 2018, and uh, after that would be maybe Bowen's. Uh, swan song in college and so brian would maybe stick around for two years and not do the one and done thing so you not so so bowen wasn't a, a hot one and done prospect he wanted to not, play campbell not, in college yeah not according to some of the people that i was speaking with in chicago they thought he was uh at least a two-year player and i've watched i've watched tugs play a bunch and he's a great player but i just don't yeah. see how his game would translate right away mm-hmm. into the nba granted the draft is a little weaker it looks like next year so he might go a little higher but you know, I just don't see – I didn't see anywhere – even at Creighton, I don't see him, you know, showcasing his talents that well year number one to go into to the NBA. So I thought it made a lot of sense to say, you know, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to get my I'm gonna get my numbers up, get some pub, and then bring my buddy in who's just going to feed me shots and we're going to tag team this and, and go from there. I just didn't think that it would really le- legitimately happen at DePaul. And if anybody follows, you know, the uh, Blue Jay Underground, a great place for recruiting and talking Creighton – I've been a long time believer that Tugs was going to come to Creighton. I thought the dominoes were lining up to where every school that Tugs was talking to, things were happening and falling into place where Creighton was really the only legitimate spot he could come and do that that uh, two-year plan with, would get Tiger in his second year and, and kind of get the shots he was looking for. I thought Creighton was that spot. But, you know, after DePaul's made some of these moves, I, I, I think that it's the writings on the wall that Brian Bowen's probably going to go to DePaul which is crazy to say, um, but you know, so, they've got pieces now. So, so is Billy Garrett senior out now at DePaul? Yeah. So I'd heard a couple of weeks ago that uh, Patrick Sellers was fired. Another assistant yep. coach they had was fired or let go. And then I heard Billy Garrett senior was asked to become their director of basketball operations. So to step down oh. off of the, and you know what people, people knock that, you know, DePaul hired the Lalu coach to get some of these players, but everybody's doing it. And to be fair, DePaul was probably stupid for not doing it sooner and going and just and just going into the Chicago AAU cesspool and getting some aw- awesome recruiter. I mean, cesspool. Why, why, why when you describe it like that, how can I how can I not think 
that that's a shady thing. When you describe because, it as a cesspool, that is what it because is. It's, because it's the lifeblood of college basketball, Matt. I know you oh, hate it, yeah. but this is this is how college basketball works. And anybody who doesn't believe that that's how it works is being naive. And that's how you become Bradley, or that's how you become a, a, a program that has no legs, is that you don't oh, play. We don't that. want that. Well, we don't want that. And we definitely don't want to become Missouri, who hires – you know, Michael Porter senior or whatever, you know, I think Creighton has struck the right balance. And I think with Mm. uh, Steve Lutz leaving and Preston Murphy becoming the director of recruiting, I think that's really going to benefit Creighton because Creighton's really hit on the right guys. And you know what? They're still swinging for the fences with tugs and they, you know, with some of these high, high, high elite players, but you know what, you know, if you don't get somebody like that, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that bad. People were worried about, you know, Creighton recruiting tugs and then missing on other targets. Creighton wasn't losing out on any player because they were waiting for tugs to commit. They weren't going to, they weren't going to pass on a four-star four-year player because tugs was waiting until May, you know, those, you know, Creighton did their, their homework. They got their commits in Ballack and Alexander and Epperson. And then they, they were afforded the ability to, to wait on a five-star guy. And that's a good position to be in. A lot of people have said it lately that Creighton, has their best recruiting class ever. And anything after this is just icing on the cake. And that's truth. I mean, the, yeah. the players they have in right now are a great foundation. Anything added to that is, is just it's just bonus. And so Creighton's in a great spot right now, regardless of Tugs going yeah. to Oregon or DePaul or wherever. I think I'm going to call And just so we're not all doom and gloom. Oh, I was going to say, like, that might actually be my nickname for Manny Suarez now is just call him Gravy since he was added to the top of that class. And <laughs> I just – that's Gravy right there. That's my Manny Suarez – that's the nickname. So get used to it, White and Blue Review followers. Manny Suarez. And just so Gravy. I'm not – yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna out the, the specific person just because you can't talk about recruiting until they sign. But um, I had have conversations since the Tiger Campbell news came out and the, the, the word is don't count us out on tugs just yet. So, I mean, it's not – it's not a done deal that – you know, it's not like Tugs is till the midnight into DePaul, which you know. But I mean, I still feel like Creighton's in play for him. I mean, they no, still Creighton. have a, they still have something to offer. It's yeah, all Creighton. like 18, 19 year old guys. You're you're still in it until you're not, yeah. right? I mean, that's just the way this thing goes. And um, you know, I, yeah, I, mean, I mean, Tremont, Tremont Waters signed on the dotted line for Georgetown. Now Creighton's one of the one of his finalists. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Just I mean, I think, I think Creighton still definitely has a shot at landing tugs, but having Tiger Campbell commit to DePaul, it, you know, it's, it's definitely shots fired. It's definitely Tiger saying, I'm in, let's, let's do this tugs and let's, 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 re, you know, rebuild this program. And, you know, I don't want to say anybody's out. I mean, he's at Oregon right now. So, you know, nobody's out, <laughs> but I mean, Michigan, <laughs> Michigan state, their, their scholarship situations looking a little bit more tight. You know, they had, they had room, but, they just got a sixth-year eligible player back uh, forward, like a six-foot-nine forward. So that pushes Miles Bridges down in the, um, you know, the lineup. He doesn't have to play the four necessarily, and so that hurts Tugs at Michigan State. You know, I think Arizona gets that Cam Johnson transfer from Pitt, or Raleigh Alkins might come back to Arizona. So I think they're looking tight. You know, Arizona's not looking good for Tugs right now, and so I definitely think he's looking around for what's my best option. And if he thinks he's one and done. And DePaul's probably not his spot. You know, Creighton might be a better spot if yeah. he thinks he's one and done. So, yeah, apparently you know, we just turned out that, one and done. Not... We just turned them out at Creighton now. I mean, you know, one and done, uh, one and done, you man. <laughs> how is uh, how is uh, Sean Miller gonna feel if Dana Altman pulls 
just straight poaches that in the big the in the pack twelve. Did to try to get him. Just yeah. poach it. Just poaches, just poaches, I mean, I dude. I mean, I don't know where Tugs. I mean, it's always been said that Tugs comes to crate and plays right away, and I believe he probably would start. But I mean, he's going to a place in Oregon that lost a lot, but some of the best players they have coming in are exactly his position. So I don't know how that yeah, would work absolutely. in Oregon either. So I, you know, I just always confused. To as as how this will work, and again, Creighton doesn't isn't relying on getting Brian Bowen for next year. Their their game plan is kind of mm-hmm. set. They kind of know what they want to do. They're adding to their roster as they see fit right now without Tugs coming in. But um, you but know, that's where I want to you know that's where I want to go right now. Is I feel like sixty six pages worth of thread on the message board, and who knows how many other um, social media networks being overrun by t- Tugs talk. But what are those plans? What What's that next level stuff that you've been hearing, Joey, and that you've been researching? We've got tons of people asking about individual recruits and package guys and grad transfers and other transfers and under the radar dudes. What's going on? Kind of what's that next step now for the Jays, as you can tell, for 2017, 2018 and beyond a little bit? Well, Creighton still really is really interested in Tremont Waters the Georgetown D commit uh, point guard 511. He, if you haven't seen him play, just go check out some of his clips and granted everybody looks good on YouTube, but I mean, that kid has an awesome game, a game that would really translate well to Creighton. He's crafty with the ball. He's a great passer. He's an elite shooter. Um, He's 511, but you know, he's probably smaller than that, but he really knows how to work his body. And uh, he's got, he's got major athleticism for 511. And so, I mean, Honestly, when you think of a prototype Creighton point guard, he kind of fits that bill. He's a great shooter. He's a good passer. He's smart and crafty. And, I mean, Creighton being involved right now is is crazy. It, it really is because, I mean, the teams that they're up against for this kid are Georgetown, who I don't think he likes, are UConn, a team I don't think he likes. I don't um, like I don't like UConn. I don't like Georgetown. You know, I, I like this kid. Teams either. That's I like this Western kid. Kentucky. Western Kentucky's been in on him, and I don't think that they're a landing spot for him. And people have made a lot about the Creighton situation. How can Creighton go after a kid that signed a letter of an intent with um, with Georgetown? And I've asked plenty of questions to the coaching staff and, that, and, 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 and to Creighton University academics about this kind of thing. Wow. They, they can't give me, they can't give me a, an on-the-record answer, but let's just say that Creighton knows what they're doing with Tremont Waters, and any time they're spending on him is not wasted time. They're 100% able to recruit him. Uh, signing him would take a little bit more work, but they feel confident that the work they would need to do if they were able to sign him would be legitimate. And so I think that Creighton stands a good chance. I think Tremont Waters, the dominoes we're waiting for Tremont Waters, is Duke. Duke, he wants to – Tremont Waters has always said that his dream school is Duke. They have not – offered him or at least if they've offered him it's not a legitimate spot because duke's holding out for five-star top five player uh trevon duvall and uh i think he duvall's gonna mm-hmm. announce within the next week and so we'll know what tremont waters wants to do within the next week because if duke doesn't get duvall they might reach out to tremont waters and give him a spot and i think that's what tremont waters is waiting for is if duke comes calling he'll go to duke but if not i think that his options are yukon and creighton and I know he's from Connecticut, but I don't think – well, everything I've read and researched is that he does not get along with Kevin Ollie very well. People in the UConn circles do not um, do not care for Tremont Waters' dad. It sounds like he's a very involved parent. Um, 
Waters is a big academic. Um, uh, you know, he goes to a really good prep school. He's academics are very high on his priority. You know, Georgetown is where he wanted. Duvall's is elite dream school, and so I think Creighton. When you when you take out Duke, if that's not an option for Waters, you look at UConn, Western Kentucky. And Creighton, I think that, um, no offense to the other two, but Creighton probably is the better academic school there and probably the better fit for Waters as a, a program. I mean, UConn's got plenty of guards ahead of him, and so does Creighton. Oh, we lost Waters at UConn are elite. Oh, no, you, am I lost back? you a little bit. What would you say? You probably broke some sweet news while, right while you're fading <laughs> out there. The, the the UConn guards, the UConn guards are elite guards. They're NBA prospects. So I don't think Waters is going there and getting – uh, you know, big minutes there, you know, and Creighton would be a, a, a log jam as well. Like you guys said, you got Joseph and Mintz coming back, playing the starting role. Balak and Alexander are absolutely going to get minutes with Foster and Thomas, but Creighton, I don't think would have a problem next year playing a little smaller. And if it's, if it's, if it's getting, if it, if it takes something like getting a guy like Tremont Waters, I think you do whatever you can to get a player like that because he is an elite player. He's a top 40 player, according to most recruiting services. And he's every bit as good as, you know, is, is advertised. And so that's a player where if Creighton can get him, you know, that might be bigger news to Creighton long-term yes. than getting tugs. And so um, um, that seems weird to say, but I think Waters has a longer shelf life at Creighton than tugs would have. And I don't think he comes along with a lot of that. Um, I don't want to say drama because I don't think tugs is a big drama guy, but tugs is, you know, an NBA prospect. And I think that he would play like an NBA prospect. And sometimes that might hurt, uh, you know, the, the team or the team mentality initially if, if the coaches can't get through to him. But I think Waters knows he's got to spend a couple years in college before he goes and plays professionally. But that kid is good, and Creighton stands a really good chance of getting him. So, Okay, so Waters will go to Oregon too then. So let's pass that. Uh... <laughs> It'll be Tugs, Waters, <laughs> taking, Campbell. Taking, Everybody will end up with Dana. Taking Dana to like back-to-back-to-back to back to back Final Fours. This is great. This is shaping up exactly the way I wanted this call to shape up. I love this. No, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Everybody else is too that's been chiming in. Uh, you have a note on here about the UMass duo. That sounds like maybe some sort of weird like uh, like experimental techno group based out in uh, – uh, based out for the Minutemen. What is this? What is the UMass duo? Let me know. Yeah, so I always, I, you know, I, I I love following the the off season for college basketball and watching the coaches build a roster. This isn't going to be about Matt Peralt, is it? <laughs> no, not not yet. We'll okay. do that later on after the okay. Ed Service interview. Um, ah. uh, <laughs> Uh, watch, watching the coaches go after players and, and look at their rosters down the line, it's, it just interests me. And so I always kind of compile a list in my head of guys that if they left their school, who would Creighton want to recruit as a transfer? And I've kind of got a pretty good sense of who Creighton looked at looked at the last couple of years. And so um, the, 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 the pair of uh, Dejan Giroux and Bryson uh, Gresham from UMass was a, was, a, was a pair of New Orleans kids that Coach Preston Murphy was in on really hot uh, coming out of high school. Uh, Creighton was in their final six or final eight. Um, they're a package deal. Uh, Giroux is a six foot five point guard and Gresham's a six foot nine power forward. Uh, they were down between pretty much at the end. I think it was Miami and UMass and, um, they ended up going to UMass, which surprised a lot of people because they definitely had high major offers. Uh, Giroux played pretty well, uh, averaged like nine, uh, four and five assists a game as UMass freshman played really well. Gresham didn't have that great of a year. Uh, he was hurt in the summer, so we didn't really get off to the best start. But toward the end of the year, he was really playing well. Uh, and so people were really hoping that that was the building blocks for a 
kind of a re- revitalized UMass program. Um, and then it kind of started to leak that uh, after Derek Kellogg got uh, fired, uh, those two were looking around, and I knew Creighton would be one of the spots they looked for because Creighton loved the, what they brought to the table um, as, as, as a freshman duo. Uh, you know, um, Giroux got all the headlines because he started and averaged nine, four, and five a game and, and uh, really is a, a pass-first point guard, but he's super athletic. He's really long, um, and, and people really kind of – you know, sparked a lot of interest uh, from the NBA because of his size, but, but Gresham really came on too. And, um, you know, I, whenever a player transfers, I always look um, just at what the fans think of what happens when the players transfer and just kind of what kind of impact they made at the program. And people, I would say the UMass fans were more upset to lose a player like Gresham than Giroux, even though Giroux played way better and had, had better stats because they thought that Gresham really was coming on. And his body would really develop, and he was really mobile. Um, you know, he averaged – I think he only averaged three points, three rebounds a game, but he averaged a block a game. He was a defensive presence, and I think they really thought they were getting a, an all-Atlantic uh, 10 player in Gresham and probably Giroux, too, if he would have stayed four years. And so I, I think that this, uh, this pair, who's – I think final four is Seton Hall, Oklahoma, UConn, and, and uh, Creighton. I think they're probably – uh, a Creighton lean right now. I think Creighton leads for those players. They've said that they're going to announce where they're going on May 22nd. Um, and just looking at some of the other programs, they're down to the final four. Oklahoma only has one scholarship left. Seton Hall at this point only has one or no, I actually Seton Hall has no scholarships left. Um, UConn has about four scholarships left, but that's where you start to get into these, where these dominoes, they kind of intertwine. And you think about, well, Creighton's against UConn for these two players. They're also kind of going against UConn for Tremont Waters. So you kind of look at it as, well, when one falls, you know, the other will probably be a landing spot for one. So Creighton's positioned itself where, you know, if it comes down between Creighton and UConn for these, you know, these two separate, uh, you know, players and Waters and Giroux and Gresham, that Creighton landing either either pair or Waters is, is really good for Creighton. So they, again, Creighton's coach has put themselves in a great spot for these guys. And so you really can't lose at this point. So Creighton has two scholarships left, right? So they're either right. getting the, the UMass duo or Waters, and then yeah, or in Bowen. Obviously, they they still really want him. Again, I think right. I think Campbell com- coming out today and committing uh, to DePaul says a lot. Now, like I said, the Bowen thing, I think he'll he'll might he'll probably end up at DePaul. Would be my guess right now, but I think that they're they they yeah they they could they could take Waters or the UMass pair, which I think would be good. Um, I, either way, you know, the UMass pair would have to sit out a year. Uh, but again, they have three years to play. So they would develop their bodies a little bit, work on their shot, learn Creighton's offense. And I think Creighton's offense is, is really, uh, you know, a program where a guy sitting out a year and learning that from a point guard position really does a point guard well, because they, they literally can sit there and watch Mac you know, how to orchestrate an offense and then hit, 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 hit the ground running as a, as a junior or sophomore after a transfer year and really know what to do. And so if Giroux comes in and, and becomes Creighton's point guard of the future, that, that sets Creighton up for three years of the same point guard who's had a year off to study the offense and work on his shot. That's a good position for Creighton to be in. And just to make Bryant more excited, tell him how tall Giroux is. Giroux's six foot five. Yeah. He's lanky. He's lanky. He's got long arms. He's got to add some muscle. But again, again, these players, after a transfer year, when they're in the weight room all the time and they're working out and they're playing on the scout team, 
like having these this pair commit to Creighton, if, if that's what it would be, would be awesome. They'd be on the scout team. They'd be awesome, uh, you know, players for our team to play against every day in practice. They would get to beef up. They, then they could work on their shots. They could learn the offense and then really hit the ground running and play for three years. They wouldn't just be here for two. They would be here for three. They'd have three eligible years yeah. to play. And so that's huge to get a, to get a couple guys like this to in your program for four years after transferring a year, they'll be mature, a little bit more mature, I would say, and, and, and know what's going on. So, so there, that's an enticing thing and that for Creighton to be in the final four against other schools that I don't think they're really necessarily as, as pumped to play for, you know, you know, I think we're in really good shape for those two. And I think, I think the waters thing will. So, been, so when none of these kids commit <laughs> and we have two open scholarships, cause that's, if you're you're new to the podcast, Joe, I know you're not new to listening, but you're new to being a guest. So this is where my my Charlie Brown, uh, you know, down in the dumps uh, comes up, comes into play. So Tremont Waters, he's going to go to UConn or something. Maybe he's going to go to Duke. He's going to play for Coach K. And then these the UMass do are going to turn table over down to UConn. Uh, Bowen's going to play with the Tiger at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and then what happens with the Jays? What's what's next? Lincoln Park Zoo. Well, that that Holy that cow, be- Brian. that becomes an issue if, if, <laughs> if all that goes down. And I, and I I really don't think I I think the UMass I think the UMass pair really wants to come to Creighton. And the, the worry is that if you're Creighton and you see the writing on the wall with Waters or Bowen, you don't necessarily want to slow play those guys because you want them here. But I I think they know. Uh, that that you know Creighton's got some you know some some feelers out there and that uh, you know I, I would say that uh, um, if Creighton gets the vibe that those guys are you know looking around seriously at those other schools that they might just pull the trigger on those two because you can't lose players like Giroux and Gresham those guys are too talented and to get them for three years after sitting out a year that's that's a huge building block to put on your foundation I posted this over on the the, the message board the other day. If you kept those three or those two for three years, you know, you could have a starting lineup, um, you know, down the road of Giroux at the one, Balak and Alexander, Gresham and Epperson. I mean, that is an elite team in a couple of years. I mean, that is talented players that Creighton would look down the road. And that's how I see these coaches working is, you know, how would this, how would taking these guys affect us uh, down the road? And Creighton needs a power forward and getting Gresham would fill that hole. Creighton needs a point guard. Jeru would fill that hole. So then you could really go after the best players available if you get those guys to be foundation pieces moving forward in recruiting. Like Joe, it. you did a terrible job helping Brian out right there. You're supposed to go to the icing argument, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, you I just supposed to I go just, back to the icing. I, <laughs> the gravy. I, All you do is I need some gravy. <laughs> gravy. I, oh, these, these, I, I think I think Creighton stands a really good chance with those two, and I think that adding those two on top of every gravy that we have is I don't even know what's better than gravy or what we can top gravy with, but gravy I mean, tastes like icing. I mean, boom. Okay. See, podcasting with podcasting with Brian, he's always glass half empty, so you have to have like a ready pitcher fill at the ready all the time because he's always. That gets Same, me in yeah, trouble. What is this, yeah. dude? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm pretty just... positive about these things. You know, I, I like to think the best of it. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I, sometimes I, I'm too positive with these kind of things. But, but I would say that Creighton really does stand a good chance with the UMass kids. So, okay, so Monday, so just be May, on the lookout for that. Monday, May 22nd. We, we're gonna circle our calendars. Um, What's the significance of May 22nd? Is that their birthdays or something, or what? I don't know. Something. 
Something. What's weird is yeah. what's what's weird is okay. So the NBA draft deadline is what uh, the fourteenth, and then players have ten days yeah. after that to decide. So May twenty fourth is the day where technically we should know where Bowen and Waters and all these guys by at least May twenty fourth. Every domino, every big domino, should really fall by that point. Um, so Bowen I, will know, be the only only uncommitted twenty seventeen or left if he waits any longer. He'll be the uh, last guy available. Fine, man. Yeah, I have no I mean, problem with I don't, him taking I his time, dude. He's a senior in high school. Like I know Twitter and uh, yeah, we talk, I talk about this all the time. I feel like on the show, that thread on the message board is going to hit a hundred. I don't care, man. Like the kid, he can take his time. Whatever he wants to shop around, like he could just be yeah. in Eugene this week because it'd be awesome to be in Eugene in early May. I gotta think the weather's gonna be great, and you're gonna see a great campus and have a school falling after you. I mean, that's awesome. I heard the weather was like the best day of the year up there. So of course it was, Matt. Glass half empty. Of course it was. It was. It was. He was at an All Star game. I think one of the last nationwide All Star these high school All Star games, the Ball is Life All Star game this last weekend. So he was on the West Coast for that. And so I, I had kind of assumed that he was going to visit UCLA or Oregon or something like that, and just Cal State Northridge. But then Kobe took a spot. <laughs> sure. Got it. Uh, My thing with Tugs is like. If he commits to the Paul, why are you in such a hurry to be guarded by Kyrie Thomas all season? Like that's not that doesn't sound like fun at all. Oh man, can you? Whew, whew, can you imagine if Tugs goes to another Big East school? Man, Jays fans, I, Jays fans are pretty polite, and Jays fans by and large <laughs> don't get really sucked into the recruiting thing, right? It's probably one of maybe the downfalls of the social media push that a lot of schools can counter with, uh, whether you're you know as a player if you're a fan of that or not, whatever you know. But, uh, you know, the fact that we had some, like, those big tugs, like, cut out heads in our student section. Like, when was the last time that happened for a recruit? Like, let's be honest. Echenique. Right. Echenique. Big old Greg. Yeah. Um, yep. So this doesn't happen I feel, yeah. a bit. So I hope, like, if he does go to DePaul, if people kept those signs and they <laughs> do some stuff with them, like, that'd be kind of fun, too. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we want, tu- we, we want tugs will definitely be altered. The <laughs> channel. Right. <laughs> you know the significance of may 22nd is next year the significance of may 22nd matt is that it kicks off what is i'm hoping is going to be just another tremendous week long weekend great in baseball i think mathematically holy cow that's like the best segue you've ever done in this right. whole show I mean, wow not to, hey hats that's impressive I appreciate man that. I, um, I didn't even know where you were going until you said baseball i was like oh man that was like that, a t- that was a top five blue chip uh, transition into the next part. Joey, Joey, before I go into baseball, before we talk about, um, the, the big East leading Creighton Blue Jays baseball program, um, any other recruiting stuff that you want to, that you want to chime in on? Yeah. Let's just go through, let's go through some of the questions people ask me. I'll just kind of roll through them. People ask who's, who's the top kind of Creighton's top 28 besides Manny Suarez. Besides okay, me, and again, 2018 will kind of depend on what happens with what they do in 2017. If they get Waters, Creighton will not be in for a point guard. If they get Giroux and Gresham, they might not need a point guard in 2018. I think that easily right now, Creighton's top 2018 recruits, Cole Swider, six foot eight, power forward, stretch four uh, from Rhode Island. Uh, Creighton just made his top eight. It's pretty much half of the Big East and <laughs> Michigan and Syracuse. This kid is an elite shooter. His favorite player is Doug McDermott. 
I think he's already visited. Mine he was too. here with Tugs. I like this. He was here with Tugs uh, on the, <laughs> during the Villanova game on New Year's Eve. And the, the kid, I think Creighton stands a pretty good shot with them. I mean, I think it'll come down to the Big East schools. Got a Villanova, Xavier, Providence, Creighton, all those offers. I think those are the leaders for his services. And I, I think Creighton, you know, if they can get him on, on campus the right time and, and pitch it right, I think he, uh, I think he might, uh, you know, see himself playing the stretch four at Creighton. So I think he's their number one prospect in 2018. Granted, Creighton's going after maybe two. Creighton has a big poster of Doug McDermott in the championship center that he can yeah. look at every day. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think you bring in Doug McDermott for that, for that visit, FYI. I think you come and say, you know, bring in the big guns, get Doug there, no matter what you need to do. But that, that, that guy would come in and be a, you know, a great Creighton Blue Jay. Um, they're going after higher rated players. I just don't see Creighton landing any of the higher rated players. And I think they should really focus in on their needs, especially if they get a guy like Waters or they get the UMass kids. I think that they go for guys that fit needs. And I think Swider is a perfect example of a guy that's elite uh, at, at a couple of his skill sets and, and fits a need. And I also like, I also, I think Creighton really likes Christian Bishop. Uh, he's a six foot seven a junior from uh, Kansas city area. Uh, Missouri. Um, he's been rising up the the, the recruiting ranks uh, the last couple months. Uh, Creighton's been in early on him. He's got a great family. Uh, he's visited Creighton a couple times. I just think he fits the culture of what Creighton wants. Uh, definitely late blossoming player fitting into his body. Elite uh, athleticism, um, you know, really long. And I think Christian Bishop, Cole Swider, probably the two guys Creighton really wants for 2018. Um, another question people had. Uh, great names, by the way. Yeah, no kidding, huh? I like um, Christian, Christian Bishop. Christian that's Bishop. a really good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah Christian sure. Bishop. That, that, is, that is a great name if I've ever heard one. Also, <laughs> I just want to let you guys know, I am a late bloomer, and I'm still growing into my body as well. So just I know <laughs> that too. problem. It's really tough. People wanted to know, I think, I don't know if it was on Blue Jay Banner or what, but I think Mac mentioned that uh, Kobe leaving. Uh, Kobe? Yeah, opened up a spot that they didn't think was going to be open up, and had Kobe left earlier, they might have been in play for a graduate transfer. I really think that the uh, Michigan transfer, Mark Donnell, was a guy that Creighton probably would have gotten if they would have known Kobe was leaving early. And people might scratch their head saying, well, wasn't that the big the, the big man that Creighton wanted to come in over Manny Suarez? And, and maybe, but I, I think that Creighton really thought last week that they had a good shot at getting Tremont Waters and Brian Bowen. And if you have a shot at getting those, those two players, you keep rides open for them no matter what. And so I think that they were holding those two rides for those two, for Bowen and Waters. And they thought, you know what, if Donnell can't wait for those two to decide, then Creighton felt okay passing on him, uh, which is crazy because he's a really good player. And I thought he'd play, I think he'd fit, I thought he'd fit in really well with what Creighton wanted to do. But then we talk about Suarez adding a different dimension uh, to Creighton. And, and Donnell is a, is just like Toby, you know, he's a six foot nine. He's uh, not as good a shooter as Toby, but he's, you know, he gets up and down the floor bringing in Donnell or Hegner, that really doesn't change up how Creighton looks. And so I don't think Creighton was, you know, over the moon for getting Hegner or for getting Donnell because they kind of have a similar player in Hegner. So I think that was the player that they missed out on that, that Kobe, uh, um, uh, that, that Kobe uh, transferred a little bit late. People asked who Alan Huss's recruits you're not, were. You're not, making, you're not making Brian happy with that. What? By saying Creighton missed out on a recruit because of something, uh, you know. And again, I, I think they, I think they felt comfortable waiting. I think they, I think they felt comfortable shelving Mark Donnell and saying, "Hey, we're gonna wait it out. If you can't, great. But you know what? We would love to have you here if it works out. But you know, I, I don't think that he was a priority for them after getting him in uh, on campus. 
people asked who some of the Alan Huss's uh, players to look out for are. And Huss, Huss is interesting because uh, he was recruiting at a different level at New Mexico than he'll be asked to recruit at at Creighton. You know, he was recruiting, you know, mid-major players like Creighton was going after, three-star players, uh, players that weren't necessarily, you know, on a lot of teams' radars, kind of late bloomers. And so Huss has to really reconfigure his recruiting strategy. He's got tons of connections in Chicago, Indianapolis, Kansas City, so it won't be a problem. But there's not a lot of players that Huss brings into Creighton right now that could sign up. You know, he doesn't bring in a Tiger Campbell, unfortunately, to, to sign up right away. But I think Huss will do just fine with Creighton. Um, and that's pretty much all the questions people had. I think we covered most of them. Matt, nice job. Yeah, that was really good, Joey. Uh, no, I, I don't have any questions. Okay. Well, Joey, we'll, we'll, we're certainly going to have you back on. Uh, now that we've kind of popped the cherry on this whole recruiting deal, I think this is going to be a, uh, a constant for us. So hopefully you'll be able to to carve out some time for us and keep us up to speed. And um, I know everybody will tune in for that because, I mean, legitimately, anytime we post anything on the site uh, relative to recruiting, it just people gobble it up. So, um, you know. I think there's a lot of stuff still in play here, and it just seems like this stuff drags on later and later and later every year. Um, I mean, the only question I have for you is, and I don't, I haven't read anything about it. I haven't, ser- you know, searched it out. How much longer is the NCA going to allow this graduate transfer thing to happen? You think? Probably, probably not very much longer. I mean, it, it, it's it's literally free agency sure. in college basketball. And so that, that can become really dangerous. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Do you know who could have been a graduate transfer if he might have taken a couple extra courses is Marcus Foster. I mean, say Marcus would have came here on his transfer year, really hit the books hard and got all the credits he needed. I mean, Marcus could have gone anywhere he wanted this year. Anybody that transfers now can technically probably graduate by the time they're a redshirt junior. So anybody that Every, anybody that transfers can can likely become a graduate transfer. And so you say there's 700 transfers every year. Elite players like Marcus Foster are transferring now. I mean, those guys could go to Duke. You know, if Marcus would have graduated, why can't Marcus go to Duke? Or, hey, then we'd get Tremont Waters, so that'd be good, yeah. right? <laughs> True. But <laughs> then, 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 then you look at pieces like, okay, then Creighton gets Tremont Waters, and then is Tremont Waters a fit for Creighton, and then is he transfer after that? So they, you're right. Yeah. They really have to – they really have to look at this and say, how do we fix this transfer? Joey, icing. Joey, Joey. icing. Icing, Joey, icing. <laughs> Tell me how good Kyrie Thomas is going to be next year. Tell me how good Kyrie is going to be next year. Matt, so good. tell me. Matt, tell me how good he's going to be. Very good. He's going to be so good. Kyrie Thomas is the next, M- he's Ty- gonna be so the next good. NBA stud at Creighton. Is, he's is, he, be is, so he, good. is he like Trevor Ariza? I mean, I, I didn't want to say that Kyrie Thomas remind, reminds me of Ka- Ka- Kawhi Leonard, but he does. But that just seems like too far of a stretch. But that guy, like Kyrie Thomas, could play in the NBA. Like, you know, not like a star, yeah. but that guy is going to play in the NBA. And it's crazy to think about how how he – I remember watching him at Benson thinking, you know, he's pretty good. He could play in the Valley. So now this guy's going to be a legit NBA player. And he should probably be on the first team preseason Big East, you know. I don't know who you put him over. If, Foster well, or, if or he's Lula. not, we, if he's not, we riot. Uh, no, we're going to have well, – how you do you put him over Blewett or Foster? I, I just don't see where he fits in that first team all Big East. But you don't you think know. you you wouldn't put him over Foster? Uh, I just think Foster's got you know the scoring punch, the name, and half that stuff to sell magazines and whatnot. So yeah, I don't know. 
But I, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't. Know. He's got people, a sweet, ha- he's got a sweet hashtag and everything. People, <laughs> wait, people read magazines still. I buy all those preseason magazines. Ah, Athlon. I know. Yeah, I baby. read them all. Yes. All yes. July. And that's why. And, and that's why you're connected. I love it. <laughs> Joey, thanks a lot for being right, on the guys, show, man. I, really appreciate I, it. Totally enjoyed it. I will totally do this whenever you want. I got more knowledge than I care to, to hey, uh, fill it out whenever you guys want. Okay. So yeah. I'm tracking down the spring, the coaches that just finished their spring seasons, both soccer coaches and volleyball, and I know that's right up your alley, Joey. So same time next week, bud. Let's do it. Soccer. Yeah. I've been excited for this soccer season for about two years. This the the upcoming seniors, uh, Frankie Stoffer, Lopez Espin. I mean, those guys are those guys are great players, and for those guys to buy in and be seniors this coming fall, from what Creighton's adding. Creighton could, I mean, I, Creighton always has a shot at winning the title, but they have really good pieces next year, and so um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. So yeah, let's talk about it. That's the kind of that's the kind of gravy Sweet. I like to end with, Joey. That's the real nice gravy to end with. So, All right. That's you. the gravy he wants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Speaking of first place in the Big East and hosting the Big East uh, baseball tournament, Matt D, you were able to talk with the head grinder himself, Ed Service. We've got a 38-minute interview coming up, but just uh, reset everybody here for what's going on here about the last week, week and a half since we last podcasted. Uh, Yeah, so Creighton went out to New Jersey, New Jersey, South Orange, New Jersey, and then New Jersey, and uh, took two out of three from Seton Hall, one other Big East series, Yawn. Yawn. Um, that's, That's kind of their thing, winning Big East series. So they're, what, three games up in the win column over Xavier now, I think is what it is. And then, you know, obviously they're the same amount of losses, and then Xavier has the tiebreaker with the one game they won in Omaha. The one game series. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Creighton's in a good spot, and I was at practice today watching them. um, Man, Ed is fired up for this stretch run. I mean, he was getting into them, telling them, just kind of reminding them of the opportunity that's in front of them over the next couple of weeks. And he knows it's going to come down. He he put it great in the interview. He said it's going to come down to four days in May. Uh, um, teams, you know, for this team's death. He's not wrong. But there are still opportunities to kind of, you know, fill in the story along the way. This week is an interesting week. They have five games all out of conference starting tomorrow night with uh, the Maverick up really it's I, what, I, what I what I think I mean by they mean by uprising and I think I got confused the whole time what I thought uprising meant was like they're you know on the come up with their programs like they're gonna start you know challenging the elite and things like that but really it's you know for basketball it's their scoring defenses uprising for baseball it's their ERA so <sighs> I think we misunderstood their slow Hey man, they got them tomorrow night at Warner Park. Okay, we better not lose now that you're like bagging on their ERA, man. So you have some Omaha's team. You have some Omaha's teams takes right now. No, no, I don't. I just I know that I've been there when <laughs> Creighton's lost to UNO, or I'm sorry, Omaha, and it's not great for me. So that's fair. So yeah, tomorrow it's Creighton UNO at Warner Park, and then Wednesday Creighton Nebraska game three, the rubber match. At TD Ameritrade Park on Wednesday, and the rest is in the top 25 now. So I mean, that's a you know a notch on Creighton's belt. And then if they can win that game, and then they have McNeese State, who's really good, right? You know, yeah, kind of that sneaky, really good. I mean, 
crap out of the ball. Um, but they're coming to TD, which is, you know, usually kryptonite for teams like that. So, so three-game series. And, you know, Saturday night's military appreciation night with fireworks afterwards. So that's always, like, the big. Oh, yeah, that's always a huge um, game. Big, highly, highly attended game, yeah. So that's their week. That's their week upcoming, which is just five out of conference games. And then they'll finish the East regular season at Butler with a chance to win the league um, for the second time since they joined it. And then they have clinched mathematically a spot in the Big East tournament. So the stress about that seems to be over. Um, it's just kind of all about finishing. Uh, Ed just wants them peaking at the right time. So these next couple weeks are going to be important for making sure everybody's staying locked in and kind of playing their best. That big East, which will determine whether they go to a regional or not this year. Yeah. And so we touch on that a little bit. We kind of talk about Michael Lamodi, uh, sophomore catcher, cleanup, and just kind of just delve into all phases of his game and how he, you know, impacts this team. Um, we talk a little bit about the Big East as a whole because if you don't know right now, on WarrenNolan.com, you know, an unofficial website, but it's still a pretty accurate one, mm-hmm. an incredible one. The Big East right now is 10th in conference RPI, which is just stunning to me. Um, when you consider where it's come from, I mean, it was 18th uh, four years ago, 18th three years ago, 16th, you know, last year. I mean, it wasn't regarded as a, a league that could possibly get to look at it. Say if creates home field um, at the end of May and earns the automatic bid, St. John's has a really good shot at getting in as an at-large. So, I mean, you're talking about a two-bid league from the Big East with seven teams. Sure. Do you ever think that was possible? Yeah. yeah. So, we talk a little bit about the yeah we talk a little bit about the strides they've made in that regard as a conference and you know scheduling and the talent upgrades and things like that. And then um, talk a little bit about the pitching staff because it's not while it's been performing well, it hasn't been a deep pitching staff. You pretty much have your three big guns in the weekend rotation and then your two big guns at the back end of the rotation. And then the rest of it is kind of up in the air. So, um, you know, there's I, kind of what level of concern was for maybe some of those guys wearing down at the end of the year. So the uh, 38 minutes, we cover a lot of topics, but that's pretty much the main stuff. Awesome. Well, we've been going. Uh, we've been going a lot tonight. Uh, obviously, having Joey on there was great. Um, so we'll probably just end yep. with the with the interview with Ed Service. Um, Matt, I know that you said you've got some time in with uh, the soccer coaches, uh, maybe ahead of next week or the week after's episode. Anything else that you're kind of bird dogging down on campus while we while we kind of bide our time here these last couple of weeks of the baseball season before the Big East tournament uh, comes to TD Ameritrade Park or you just kind of all in on on the grinders right now. Yeah, I just uh, right now I'm getting with uh, Ross Polly, Elmar Olovich, and Kirsten Brentall Booth is my next my next list to do things. We also have I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, um, but Tom Nemitz, our number one pound for pound best content provider on White and Blue Review, yeah. uh, teased a little bit of our yearbook there that looks pretty awesome. Um, so I have a few things to work on for that. Uh, yeah, that'll be because we're getting that a, thing rolling. We'll be coming to a shop, uh, an online cart near Jays fans everywhere, hopefully pretty soon. So 
Really excited yeah. about that. Uh, Tom obviously that does. Thing looks, that thing looks incredible. Tom is amazing. He does ex uh, exceptional work. So he's the chief creative force behind WBR, and I'm sure whatever he's cooking up will be great. We've seen some some samples so far, so it'll be awesome. And a lot of Matt, uh, a lot of Matt DeMarinis's content from uh, the full academic and athletic year will be featured in that, as well as probably some special things you're working on too. So. Super excited to see that come through, but uh, uh, just really want to thank you again, Matt, for jumping on the show tonight. I know it was a little bit different than normal, but I thought it was good different. So hopefully we can do yeah, more it was fun. stuff in the future. Absolutely. Uh, it was great. Thanks yeah, for having me on. Of course. want to give a shout-out to Lawler's Custom Sportswear as well for all their sponsorship and support of this show. Um, I think we're at like 24, 25 episodes now, so – uh, nice. We've kept, Thank you, Lawlers. Yeah, we've kept at it, and uh, you know the next couple of weeks will be really interesting with baseball. Lawlers is a big supporter of of Ed's team and creating baseball program overall. So, you know, everybody rolling into TD Ameritrade Park for the Big East baseball tournament. Not to say that there aren't home games between now and then. That's that's, that's for sure. But uh, a lot of Lawlers gear going to be down at the uh at the ballpark so make sure you guys stop through there check it out if not stop at one of their other brick and mortar locations or jump online uh, pick up some baseball gear here coming down the home stretch and cheer on the jays if you get a chance but yeah it, definitely if you if you haven't been to the military appreciation night um matt i think you said it was saturday of the mcneese state series coming up uh, that is a really great experience, and they really pulled out all the stops uh, entertainment-wise for that. So it'll be a big crowd. Looks like the weather's going to be nice. Uh, they usually do all sorts of fireworks and fun stuff before and after the game. So make sure you get down there, check that out. Make sure you keep uh, in tune with all of our um, social media accounts as recruiting uh, ebbs and flows, I guess, uh, here the next couple weeks. Gravy. The men's basketball team hopefully get more gravy. Gravy. Hashtag gravy. more gravy. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we really appreciate you guys tuning in and the girls tuning in and, and listening to us blab on again. So uh, really appreciate it and appreciate you, and we love doing this. So for Matt, Dean Moranis, and Joey Tempo, I'm Brian Dot signing off tonight for the Blue Jays Bites podcast with a hearty good evening and go Jays. Uh, here with another head coach interview on the Blue Jay Bites podcast, joined by Creighton head baseball coach Ed Service. Ed, uh, welcome back from New Jersey. Another yeah. series win. Congratulations. Good to be home. Good to be home. And um, good to win the series. That's our goal every weekend is win series. So uh, never know coming off finals exactly what you're going to see. So the players did a really good job. You could tell the fatigue started to wear on them a little bit in the third game of the series. You know, yeah. it's less, we haven't played a doubleheader in a long, long time. Um, that's not an excuse, but that's just reality. So we're glad to be home, and we'll be home here now for a good uh, you know, week and a half, and then we'll hit the road again to uh, finish the regular season at Butler. So what's this week like for you as, a, as far as, like, managing? Because, I mean, obviously the end of May is the really important part as far as getting into the postseason and things like that. But you have, you know, five games this week. But they're not, they're not conference games anymore. Mm -hmm. So, like, do you manage that any differently, knowing that the prize is the big picture goal is probably a couple weeks away and that you, you might have to manage some fatigue a little bit and that these games, you know. I know you said you want them to play hard every day, but, I mean, right. as far as who gets out there on the field, is that any different this week? You know, when you look at our hitters, you, 
could tell we were a little rusty this weekend because we didn't play a midweek game. We had finals. We didn't really get a chance to practice very long with them. You know, with baseball, you, you know, you really have to struggle with that concept because your hitters are better when they play more often. So do we rest a hitter? Do we rest, you know, Mike Amodi? Do we give somebody a day off? Um, I struggle with that because I just know as a hitter, the more pitches they see, the better off they're going to be. And I want our guys peaking, obviously, mm. as we get into Butler a week and a half from now and then hopefully into the conference tournament. You know, we want to be... We want to be hitting our stride. Uh, hopefully, we didn't peak, you know, three weeks ago when we had that, you know, that nice little run. Uh, so that's what we struggle with. Pitching-wise, it's different, you know. Yeah. From a pitching standpoint, now, you know, how often do we use our bullpen guys? We know our weekend guys are only going to pitch on weekends. So, so Raleigh and Jeff and Keith, you know, they don't get involved with these midweek games. The question now is, how often do you use Dave Gerber? How often do you use Easy to Caster? Um, Brennan Hammer starting to come on as a left-hand specialist for us. How often do we use those guys? Um, I think we're in pretty good shape right now. We haven't. I didn't see fatigue in those guys this weekend when we played Seton Hall. Do we use them both games in the midweek? Do we pick one game that they're both going to be involved with? Um, those are the questions that we'll try to answer when we get into the game on Tuesday. We'll get a better feel for how that game's going to play and whether or not we're going to need both of those guys, one of those guys, and then with the idea that we do have another game the next day. Uh, so the double midweek does create a little bit of an issue, and mm -hmm. we haven't had very many of them. We're supposed to have a couple, but we got rained out. So this will probably be the only time all year we've got double midweeks, and so I'm trying to balance fatigue with our pitchers. I'm more worried about our pitchers. The position players, they need to play. Yeah. So this weekend, um, I'm sure going into the Seton Hall series, you know well and good, and your staff knows, and you know the, the, the pitching staff knows you know what this series has been like, how many one-run games these teams play against each other. Did you have to kind of, I don't know, coach up the position players, especially the young guys, into saying, look, this is always, every game with this team is close, you know, it's going to go down to the eighth, ninth inning, you know, you're going to have to stay patient, um, and you know. The way the game's played out, they played it out exactly how Creighton Seton Hall usually plays out. Did you have to coach that up a little bit as far as keeping them locked in, even though maybe it's going to be a low-scoring one-run type of game? You know, we talked briefly about that. We did talk a lot about what Seton Hall likes to do. I mean, it's a very aggressive uh, team on the base pass. We did an excellent job with that. It's a team that likes to bunt. We did an excellent job with that. Mm -hmm. It's a team that really likes to use its speed on the offensive side, and we did an excellent job of controlling that. We talked to, to our pitchers about they rely heavily on the walk. They, this team has walked a lot, mm -hmm. and our pitchers did a tremendous job filling up the strike zone. Um, we didn't talk too much about like you know previous games and the history between Seton Hall and Creighton because I found out early with this team um, they're they're not much interested in that. Really? They're more interested in the moment. What are you gonna, what? What are we going to see Friday when we play Seton Hall? We don't want to hear what happened last year in a conference tournament against Seton Hall. or they, They're not into that part of it, which is okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I happen to be into that part. But one of the things I have to do as a coach is I have to feel this team out, figure out what's important to them, what's not, and then direct our attention to that. And we found out early when I talked a little bit about the history of you know the Nebraska-Creighton series and 
and so on, that, that you could tell they, they didn't have an interest in that. They have an interest in give us the information to play well against Seton Hall right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we've done better the last three or four weeks because I finally figured out what this team needs and how to coach them. And it took me longer than I wanted to, but I think we got a much better idea. I mean, with this young group, I mean, especially when you see guys that are hitting higher in the lineup in some run-producing situations, you know, in the last couple of years, guys have maybe struggled if you put them in that situation to, you know, deal with the pressure of having to drive in runs and, you know, be, have good at-bats constantly throughout the game to kind of set the tone for everybody. What what in Michael Lamodi's DNA, <clears throat> excuse me, has kind of allowed him to not really be affected by that pressure of having to do that, especially as a sophomore. I mean, he wasn't an everyday player last year, so this is really being thrown into the fire kind of thing, and he hasn't really... He hasn't really had one of those slumps where the team has kind of been affected by it. Mike had a good summer. You know, he stayed out on the East Coast and played in uh, the uh, D.C. area and had a good summer, got a lot of at-bats with the wood, played against a lot of good competition. And I think when Mike came back this fall, he looked out there the first couple of days of fall ball and realized nobody was back mm-hmm. other than him. So whether he was ready for it or not, he had to take on an entirely different personality with this team, and he did. And it's one thing to try to be a leader. It's another thing to back it up. And uh, oftentimes you have to back it up with, with numbers, with results. Mm-hmm. And Mike was able to do that. Um, with, there's no doubt we'd be, in the, we'd be in a bad position without Mike. Um, but I think, you know, it's nothing I told him or any of the other coaches told him. He just looked out there and said, hey, if we want to do anything this year, I've got to take on a different personality. I've got to be different than I was last year. And he did, and he had a very good fall, and you could tell that he was a much different player. And it's now it's carried over into the, to the spring where, you know, he's hit some huge home runs, mm-hmm. you know, including the one on Friday in conditions that you thought. I don't think that yet either. You thought there was no way Mm-mm. a guy could hit a ball through that thick fog, drizzle, haze, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think anybody saw it, but we heard it. Right. When it hit the bleachers out there in left center field. Um, he's, uh, I, I just can't say enough about Mike. And, and uh, I'm glad you picked up on it, too. He's doing more than just on the field. Yeah. He's doing all this stuff in the locker room. And, he, you know, during a game, he's picking guys up. And he's just been a pleasure to be around. But um, that, was Mike, that was Mike's decision to take it to another level based on there was no supporting staff coming back for him. Mm-hmm. He was the guy, and we're building this team around him, and that's what we did. I, maybe it's not fair to compare him to others, especially since he's so young in his career, but, I mean, have you ever had a guy physically who can just handle all the responsibilities that are on his shoulders the way, I mean, athletically, he's catching every single day, which is a grueling position. Right. He's hitting in the middle of the lineup. He's hitting with a high average. He's getting on base. He's driving in runs. I mean, physically, he's holding up when... At, a, at his position, it's usually one that starts to wear down. I mean, have you ever had a guy that, you know, from just an athletic specimen like him before? Well, we've been blessed. We've had some good catches. Yeah. Really some good catches. Going back to my first years with Tony Daniel and then Chris Gradable. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Gradable with his body. Chris was about 6'3". Mike's in that same boat, about 225. Chris had power like that, too, and his strength in his arm, durability. 
Uh, so Mike's Mike's along those lines, but it is very rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't like to do it very often. We like to have two or three more catches. Right now, uh, you know, Mike gives us our best opportunity, and we've tried to get this thing straightened out. So that's why Mike's having to, you know, carry a heavy load. But um, again, we've been lucky. Uh, the catching position has been good to us over the years, and uh, I, you know, Mike's just kind of carrying that torch on. But what he's done is should not go unrecognized, the fact that he's caught all but nine innings. I'm just impressed with some of his best at-bats are in the eighth and ninth inning. That's one thing to get a hit in the first inning. That's another thing to get a hit in the eighth and ninth inning with all these one-run games we've played now with 19 one-run games. Uh, to uh, get big hits in those games says a lot. Usually in the past, you guys, um, you know, with the way you guys can control things on the mound, that's been a big part of how you controlled the run game with, you know, step-offs, throwovers, like kind of mixing those in at bats, kind of extending things when runners get on base. With Mike, and I'm not really sure what how this compares to the rest of the nation, but, I mean, he's thrown out over 60% of base dealers this year. I mean, that seems like a high percentage right. for a catcher. I mean, that's what it just seems like to me. But, I mean, how vital is he to controlling the run game, especially for – when a pitcher gets, like, if he walks a couple guys or, you know, gives up a C&I single and there's two on, knowing that Mike can control that game and he can kind of focus on the hitter. Well, Mike does a good job of what so many of these players don't quite understand is when we take pregame, you know, many of the coaches are observing pregame, and when they see Mike throw for the first time in person, mm-hmm. they start to formulate whether or not they can conduct a running game that day. And then Mike does a great job between innings, too. He's always trying to work and refine that throw and get quicker with his feet. There's no doubt Mike's always had arm strength. But catchers throw more with your feet than your arm. And Mike had to tighten up a couple of things. He's done a good job. Coach Wallace has done a great job with him as his catching instructor to tighten up and get Mike more accurate. And um, the pitchers have done a good job, too. Coach Wordekamp is really harping on those guys to get rid of that ball in 1.3 seconds or less. And, and they're, they're starting to buy into that a little bit. But, again, Mike, Mike tightened up his throwing mechanics a little bit, getting his feet underneath him a little quicker, um, anticipating when steal situations are going to happen. We do a good job of uh, calling pitches in the dugout. When we anticipate a steal attempt, we're going to give Mike a good pitch to work with which is usually a fastball away, so he can just stay in his legs and deliver the ball. But again, you can do all those things, the guy's still got to execute, mm-hmm. and Mike's executed at a high level. With your pitching staff this year, a couple of guys have mentioned it throughout the season that the the kind of the, the, the day off stuff that they constantly do with Coach Kemper has to them, been the reason they've been able to extend deeper into games. I know you've mentioned that being veterans, you know, and just being more physically mature, that is part of it. But what has Coach Wordekemper done with this pitching staff that's, you know, specifically the starters that have allowed them to go deeper into games and still maintained, you know, not necessarily having dead arm periods and things like that? Well, I think he's done a great job with the conditioning element of it, you know, between the fall, trying to get them acclimated to a running program after they throw day one, what do you do? Day two, what do you do? Um, he's really shortened up their bullpens a little bit to make sure that they're more efficient on game day. They have more bullets in their arm on game day. But even though he's shortened up the bullpens, they're more efficient. They're more geared toward a specific. Like, let's say today we're working on two one breaking balls. Mm-hmm. 
or today we're going to work on oh, oh fastball down away or whatever they're more specific they're more goal orientated which I think has helped the pitchers throw more strikes we're doing a really good job of not walking hitters right now and that's important but I think probably the biggest thing he's done with them is he's got him on a conditioning program <clears throat> similar to what he did with the Yankees when he played all those years with the Yankees because he understands um, that a lot of this fatigue happens with the lower body every bit as much as it does with the upper body. So he's got those guys in probably the best shape they've been in. I think that's why you see our guys throw a lot more 100, 105, 108 pitches that used to be 85 to 95 and they were coming out of games. Mm -hmm. Now some of that has to do with our bullpen shorter too. Right. You know, By necessity, but yeah. I give these starters, these three weekend guys, a ton of credit because um, they knew our bullpen was going to be a little shorter this year and that they probably had to pitch one more inning, and that's what they've done. I guess when you look around the diamond and you see that, you know, first of all, there's a lot of inexperience at different positions, but there are some guys who maybe aren't playing the positions that they're destined to play maybe in their careers here. What have you seen out of this defense? And I know that's a big, big point of emphasis for you every single season, but, I mean, it's not the defense that you've had in past years. Um, and I'm not trying to say that in a negative way, but it just what have you seen out of the way they've kind of matured gradually throughout the season that's allowed them to just be maybe good enough, sound enough when they need to be so they're not necessarily costing you ball games with mistakes late? Well, they, you know, the game slowed down for them. Gosh, we didn't practice well early. Mm -hmm. And we were just not very good. And, and in fall, I could notice right away that they were playing too fast. And when they played too fast, the mistakes just came in bunches and I worried how am I going to slow it down because the game normally speeds things up right so how can we do this so we pulled back a couple things you know we really just tried to emphasize what is defense I've got to get these guys better at throwing and catching and not spend so much time on the strategy of the game but on the execution of throwing and catching and slowly but surely they got better at that um, their arms took a beating because we threw a lot you know, we had guys with tired arms, position players, probably slower arms. But I said, we got, the only way we're going to get better is we got to keep throwing. we got to keep catching. And then you could s see in the springtime here, after we got by the first three weekends where we didn't play well defensively, that the game was actually starting to slow down. I mean, I saw mistakes that I'd never seen in my 20 years right. here, committed in the first couple weekends. And I... You know, I was disappointed because that's something we have great pride in. I thought I could take anybody and make them a better defender. Right. And it didn't look like that early. It looked like, holy smokes, you know, this is, um, we just can't win this way. We just had no chance. So, again, we went back to real fundamental things. The good thing is the players kept working. They never questioned why we do what we did in practice. They were disappointed, too. I think sometimes the word out on the street is that, we put so much emphasis on defense that the kids come in sometimes um, with that added pressure that they've never experienced before. So um, the game finally has slowed down for Thomas and slowed down for Isaac and Bryce. And, you know, we made, we moved Jason over to first base in the spring where he's a big target mm -hmm. and, and um, athletic kid. So it gives us a chance to maybe help our infielders out a little bit. But... We're still not quite at the level that we're accustomed to seeing, but you made a good point. We're making the plays we have to make to allow us to win, 
and stay away from losing. Are we going to make a lot of flashy plays? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But we got to make the routine plays. I think our pitchers are more confident now. I think our pitchers were kind of on their heels a little bit early in the season, thinking that the only way we can get an out is a strikeout. Everybody's playing at a better level. We're more confident. Um, the game has slowed down, and the players deserve a lot of credit hanging in there, um, finding a way to get this thing under control. We just didn't have a lot of other options. Sorry to jump. I'm going to jump away from your team for a second here because it's on the subject of defense, and um, it just seems like with two of the guys that you currently have at the professional level, um, I think Mike Gerber just committed his first error in like 230-something games, and every time you look around, Nicky Lopez is diving after something and making a play. How how special were those two guys in their time here defensively? I mean, it just seemed like, you know, TD's a wide open space, but it didn't seem like there was a ball hit to their area, right, left, front, back, that they couldn't get to. Well, Mike had such great instincts. You know, Mike was moving before the ball was hit. Yeah. And I talked to that with our players several weeks ago. I said, you know, it's easy to move when the ball's hit, but if you're really locked in and you have good instinct with baseball, you can tell by the swing of the bat where the ball's going before contact's made. And Mike was able to do that. And even though Mike wasn't this gazelle out there, he didn't look like, because he had an interesting, he, he runs in a, he's got an interesting running gait. Mm -hmm. It's different than like a Clark Brinkman and so on, but his instincts were superior over uh, players that we've had in the past. I was surprised at the professional level that they had him in right field yeah, the first couple of years. I'm thinking, right field and DH. Like, are, I'm you thinking, well, yeah. are you not seeing what we saw? Yeah. And now they've moved him to center. He got a gold glove last year, which is outstanding. I'm not surprised at all. Mike's always had a good arm, but the thing that separated him was his instincts were different. And for, he could predict where the ball was going to go before it was hit. So that's why he was able to really cut off balls in the gap so well for us when he played at TD. Because you're right. That's a tough place to play outfield. Mm -hmm. As far as Nicky goes, um, you know, Nick is as sure-handed a player as we've had. We've had a lot of good infielders come through here. Um, and the thing that Nick has probably gotten better at, I haven't seen him play now for a year, but just taking different angles to the ball because he's got such a good arm. Mm -hmm. He's got such an accurate arm that he could probably learn to take deeper angles and still throw out runners at first base. I guess I'm just guessing that's probably what he's doing now. That's why you see diving plays and glove flips and, and things like that. Um, he always had that in him, but he just needed to play more too. You know, he is a player from the Chicagoland area, a Midwest kid, so he just needs to play more baseball. But I, I, I'm just guessing that he's understanding angles better. And I, I was always impressed with his arm. Mm -hmm. Gosh, he had a good arm, and it was accurate. I don't ever remember Nick bouncing a ball first base and all the easiest here. When you, and then now here I'm terrible at segues during this. I apologize for our listeners. Um, it's funny because the Big East has kind of taken a beating the last couple of years. Just, you know, it's been around the 18 RPI range, the 16 RPI range, and, you know, teams, other teams, not you, have been scheduling out of non-conference just, you know, teams that really don't are helping their RPI, whether they win or lose. And uh, this year you guys are creeping up. You're, I think you're the ninth best league, in, unofficially the ninth best league in RPI. I mean, just a couple percentage points below the Big Ten. I mean, what do you attribute that to? And do you think that this league maybe is not as top-heavy as it used to be? I mean, some of the bottom teams are starting to kind of get the picture as far as how to make a seven-team league good enough to maybe be a multiple-bid league. Well, it's definitely underrated. 
I mean, it's definitely underrated. And I'm really, you know, to be honest, I'm tired of defending the Big East baseball. Right. And I'm so glad that we're either ninth or 10th, depending upon which sites you look at as far as conference RPI, um, which is outstanding. You know, improvement from 16, 17, or 18. Ahead of the Valley right now, which nobody thought was going to happen. So we are, um, I I give the coaches a lot of credit. Um, These guys have played a really good schedule this year. Seton Hall, for example, who we just played this weekend, played Michigan four games, Mm -hmm. played Florida three games, played Tennessee, played Oregon. Xavier has played Georgia, Louisville, um, just to name a few. uh, St. John's has played Coastal. Uh, just to name one school. Um, so everybody's done a tremendous job in upgrading their schedule. There's some good pitchers in this league. Mm-hmm. We've had some great Friday and Saturday night games in this league, and we're not done yet. So uh, I'm really happy, and I think we can continue to do better. I think we can now look at potentially improving maybe some of our parks that we play at, some mm-hmm. of our sites. Um but I, I'm, I'm pleased because uh, I, I knew that the league was better than what people thought. And I was a little tired of constantly telling people that. And I think they were saying, oh, that's just coach speak. You know, what's he going to say? Sure. And now that we're ninth or 10th in the country out of 32, it says it a lot. And those coaches out there coaching at the other Big East schools need a ton of credit, deserve I, a ton of credit. I don't know if you know this, but there was a um, – I don't remember what publication, but it was like a – I think – there was a baseball publication that's it was it was MLB heavy, but they had a section of college baseball, and uh, a couple of years ago they did a preview of kind of NCAA tournament teams and you know they kind of did automatic bids for all the conferences and they had thirty one leagues um, getting automatic bids and there was one league that they didn't have in there and it was the Big East. That's kind of what it was like. I mean, it was an afterthought of a league. And now in two short years, it's in the top ten and, you know, creeping up on the Big Ten, which you guys have a big series, a big game with Nebraska. I mean, who knows what happens if, if you guys win that, if it flips it or not. But, I mean, just to be the jump that it's made in a couple of years. I mean, did you honestly see it coming? Did you think that? I didn't that, see that big of a jump. Yeah. I, I, I knew, you know, that Xavier and St. John's and Seton Hall were going to continually do a good job of scheduling. Uh, we're... Villanova decided to make a coaching change, and that guy is interested in playing. Good people will um, improve their program and take it to another level. Georgetown has done a good job of scheduling some people on the East Coast, but very impressed with like what Xavier's done. Yeah, and um, St. John's always plays a nasty schedule early. Seton Hall is not afraid to go anywhere to play, and um, so I. I, I knew we would we're moving in the right direction. As coaches, when we meet once a year, mm-hmm. you know, it's something we talk about, and everybody's pushing hard. We're trying to get the Big East uh, uh, office to, you know, do more for us. You know, get get on TV more. We're fortunate here in Omaha that Creighton's on TV quite a bit, but some of the other schools, you know, ESPN three carries a lot of the St. John's home games, and I, you know, so we're anxious to see if there's another bump in there. So mm-hmm. I think there is. It came probably a little faster than I anticipated. Why? Well, this is probably going to be maybe tough to remember, but I mean, when you when when Creighton was moving to the Big East, um, you know, kind of everybody was kind of assessing what this really meant for each program. I mean, for men's basketball, it was obviously a no-brainer. Women's basketball was a little bit like the same, and you could see men's soccer and women's soccer kind of like they were obviously getting upgraded as far as the competition they would face 
in league play. But you know, volleyball was kind of up in the air as far as what they would get. Um, baseball was one of them, and softball was the other. I guess when you heard that move was going down, when you were like, okay, we're a Big East team now, we're a Big East program now, and you're leaving Dallas Baptist and Missouri State and Wichita State and Illinois State, what were you? What was your initial reaction to saying, okay? How can we make this where it's maybe a lateral or a positive for our program instead of, you know, maybe it hurts our program? Well, I needed to study the teams first. Uh, you know, we had not played St. John's and Seton Hall and Georgetown and Villanova. We played Xavier one time, and I didn't know anything about Butler. Mm -hmm. So I needed to research the teams a little bit and then soon found out that, you know, St. John's was a, a super regional team a couple of years before we got into the Big East. That Seton Hall had players like Biggio and Mo Vaughn and these big league all-stars had come through Seton Hall. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I had heard from a couple coaches, you know, what kind of style of ball they like to play, which is, you know, interesting with the base running and the emphasis on speed. Um, initially, I thought, too, the Big East could help us recruiting. Because really? the Big East, um, just the logo and the name, because of basketball, right. resonated with people throughout the country more than the Valley. Okay. So I thought, okay, maybe we'll open some doors on the East Coast. Maybe we'll get an opportunity to pull a kid from the East Coast um, that we never thought of before. Um, we also knew that basketball was going to be on TV every day, every home game or every game period, and that that would give us exposure. Even though it's a different sport, it's Creighton University, and people got eyeballs on that. So I just thought it would help us from a recruiting standpoint. I needed to investigate the type of teams we were playing, I didn't know anything about their facilities because I'd never been at one of their places. And that was a, probably a little bit of a surprise. But I think the Big East uh, name has helped us recruiting. I think we are more of a, uh, not just a Midwest recruiting-based school anymore, that we are branching out um, and getting different players from different pockets of the country. Um, and then to see the, the uh, league improve as a whole from a baseball standpoint is encouraging. You know, when you change leagues like this, and when you have to hire a new commissioner and basically you form a new league, mm -hmm. this stuff isn't going to happen in six months. And I, I, I know I'm not a very patient person, but I, I had to be patient with just let this thing work out. See how it's going to go. You can't judge it after one year. Don't judge it after two years. And to see what Xavier did last year in the regionals, you know, to, to see what St. John's did two years ago in the regionals, not having gone up against these teams for four years, having seen our conference tournament, that's one area that needs to improve, the conference tournament. Yeah. We've got to somehow market and create a better situation with the conference tournament. But I'm impressed with these teams. I mean, St. John's is going to have multiple players drafted off their team. Xavier's going to have a good draft. You know, Villanova's got a tremendous pitcher that's going to get drafted well. Um, I don't know if we've got to do a better job as coaches or the office has to do a better job to kind of promote ourselves. One thing I know about the coaches in this league, they're not self-promoters. Right. They're good guys, yeah. but they're not out there on Twitter and social media telling everybody how good they are. And a lot of other people are doing that, and it's probably held us back a little bit. I mean, I'm not very good at that either. I'm not good at that either, you know, but I, I, think, I think we're kind of an unknown right now for mm -hmm. a lot of people. And how do we get that word out? Something I'm curious about because I haven't really ever asked you this because it just seems like one of those things where it's it's just from an outsider's perspective I mean they see a game or two and they'll they'll judge a fly ball and say that should be gone in every other park but I mean 
TD kind of has a bad reputation because, I think, because they changed the bats the same year the park was built. So, I mean, home runs dipped across the nation. But, I mean, when you saw it at TD, it was like, what is this ballpark, you know? And I think it gets a bad reputation because of that. And I feel like it's trending in a more normal direction where it's not necessarily as hard to hit a home run as people think it is. What do you tell recruits when they come in here and they see this ballpark and they hear all the chatter about, yeah, don't. I mean, I'm sure you don't go there. You won't ever hit a home run in your entire career. Things like that. What do you? How do you recruit against the the reputation that this ballpark has because of what you know the competition committee has kind of done to the you know to the game as far as making sure it's whatever they think a score should be reasonable. That's that's a good one. You know, because they walk out in the field, you know, and they see for themselves mm-hmm. that the gaps are three eight five, that it's four zero whatever to straightaway center. Um, but I think we can overcome that with the beauty, the surface, the scoreboard, the locker room facilities, the cages, and all that stuff. What I tell the players is, hey, it's a great hitting ballpark. You're going to probably hit a few more doubles and triples than you will home runs. Now this year the home runs are getting spiked a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's the only thing that they're considering, then maybe this isn't a good fit anyways. Sure. You know, because we've never relied on the home run. Even when we played on campus, we relied on, we were still bunting, we were hitting and running, we were trying to create some offense through the stolen base. We really haven't changed our philosophy much from going from an on-campus, which is a smaller ballpark, to TD Ameritrade. So we've never really looked for guys that are going to hit 15 or 18 home runs. We look for more athletes who can execute the game. So that's what we still do. So we don't get too many kids that will come in there and say, you know what, uh, I think if I went somewhere else, I might hit 12 or 15 home runs. If I come here, I might hit five. Um, I don't know if we've lost a player due to that. So I think the one negative of playing in a big ballpark does not outweigh all those positives that TD Ameritrade allows us to recruit to. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, Given that you guys don't have any uh, conference games this weekend, now, I know from an RBI perspective, at-large isn't something that you guys are talking about, but, uh, you know, because obviously you have to win the Big East tournament to get in. But this weekend with McNeese State, a three-gamer this weekend, Nebraska, who's just now in the top 25 on Wednesday, you have four games in a row here against teams that will probably be in the regionals. Are you really are you curious this week to see how your team handles that, that litmus test against teams that they'll probably see – you know, in that first weekend in the tournament, if they do make it there? I just want to see us get better. Okay. You know, this weekend we didn't play well. And I don't know exactly what we can attribute that to. We were just off a little bit. Right. Um, we just made a couple mental mistakes we rarely see our players make. We just looked a step late. We reacted a little slower. We didn't swing the bats particularly well. Our pitchers did a very good job, but they kept us in the game. But I just want to see us play at the level I believe we're capable of. And then whatever happens is baseball, right? It yeah. doesn't mean you're still going to beat these teams that we got. These are really good teams, and they're all gearing up for the same thing. I mean, this is when you you don't get somebody overlooking you right now because they want to be peaking at the right time. We want to be peaking at the right time. I think there's another step in there for this team. And what's encouraging is we still found a way to win two and could have won three, at Seton Hall, which is never an easy place to play because it's on turf. We don't play a lot of games on turf anymore. Um, and they still found a way to win two games, not playing particularly well. 
So I'm just looking for improvement. I'm, look, I'm anxious to see how we respond now that we're done with school and we're kind of in a baseball mode now. We get to spend a little bit more time with them. We can meet with the players a little bit more and talk about certain things um, and see if we can get this team to peak at the right time. And what that means this weekend or this week, I'm not sure. You know, uh, But that's our goal. I want to see us get into Butler, peaking at the right time, playing as well as we can for the next three games set, and then it's four days in May. It's going to create 2017 baseball season. It's going to come down to four days in May. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this since our 1-11 start, that we can do something special yet, but it's going to come down to four days that TD and Brown play, and we got to play our best. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's oh, Just hearing you throughout the season, I know you've made an emphasis on this month and finishing out this month. Because I think it really eats at you the way last year finished out because you guys were, you know, strong consideration for even hosting a regional at your own ballpark and then it kind of fizzled at the end with, you know, I mean, obviously the teams that you beat early on the season created your RPI because they didn't perform well in May either, but how much is that, how much do you think about that, the way that season turned out as far as relating it to this group? Because like you said, this group really doesn't care about the past, no. they kind of just care about what's in front of them. Yeah, and, and, you know, we won't share much about what happened in the last, really the last three mm -hmm. conference tournaments. Um, we just got to make sure they're healthy. And right now, you know, Parker Upton got hurt this weekend by hit by pitch, but it looks like he's been cleared to be active again. Um, and we've been able to avoid the injury bug here the last six or eight weeks. We got to keep them healthy. We got to keep our pitchers as healthy and as fresh as you can have a pitcher in the month of May mm -hmm. at the college level be. And then we got to play our best in those four days. And we've been thinking about how we're going to, you know, adjust some things and, and allow that to happen because we just didn't, we probably peaked last year, probably in the middle of April when we played at BYU late April. Yeah. That was outstanding, that doubleheader against BYU. And then we just kind of plateaued. Some of it might have had to do with the travel last year. We're on the road 19 of the last 21 days. This year we're not. You know, we're home all week now. We didn't have that scenario last year at this time. And, you know, we're home middle part of next week. And then we hit the road for three, but then we come back. So I'm hoping that just being home and not on the road, the road takes a lot out of you. Mm -hmm. I, I know the players were very tired yesterday coming off the plane. You know, we're leaving early in the morning. You know, these guys were... Up different time zones and everything. At 3 o'clock yeah. yesterday on the East Coast, which is 2 o'clock Central. Yeah. And, and, yeah, they sleep a little bit on the plane, but that's not the same. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about what we can do to give them the best opportunity, put their best foot forward, because at the end of the day, it's their game. It's their opportunity. And I think at this point, we've done okay with that. Now, this week does concern me a little bit on how we're going to manipulate through this whole week because... Um, we have a trap game tomorrow night, and, and then everybody's going to be gearing up for the Wednesday game. Yep. And then here comes McNeese State, an offensive power. I mean, they can score runs, and we're going to have to find a way to slow it down because we're probably not going to win a 10-9 to nine game very often. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, with the eye on Butler and seeing how we can prepare for Butler, right. I'd like to see us win the regular season. You know, that's our new goal now is to see if we can win the – now that we're this far into it, let's win the regular season. We did, you know, the first year we had. We were in the Big East. Let's see if we can do that again.
Um, but uh, th this this will be a, a very interesting week to see how we check out, see how we handle it all. Yeah, yeah. It took me a week to recover from going to Milwaukee, New York for the Big East Conference tournaments, and I was just sitting down watching the game. So I can't imagine what it's like for you guys coming back from New Jersey playing games. So yeah, I can relate to that a little bit. We're lucky. Um, we're, I mean, they're so fortunate that they don't have um, the school part of it yeah. anymore. So uh, <clears throat> I haven't seen them now since yesterday at noon. It's here. It's noon on uh, Monday, but I'll see them here in about an hour or so. So hopefully they got a little more bounce to their body here today than they did yesterday. Sure. Uh, Ed, thanks a lot for the time. Yeah. I always appreciate sitting down. Yeah. I know we maybe run long on these. You're probably second on the power rankings <laughs> to Flan as far as how long we can have a conversation. But uh, thank you as always at the yeah. time. Good luck this week. I know it's going to be a busy week yeah. for you. Um, keep everyone healthy, and thanks a lot. Well, thanks for everything you do for us.